Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Finner Pind, co-founder and CEO of Treble, a next-generation simulation technology platform that's raised $10 million in funding. Finner, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Absolutely. So as you said, I'm one of the founders of Treble Technologies. My background is in the world of acoustics and sound. So I've been spending the last, I don't know, in 20 years, basically obsessing about sound. First as a musician, uh, then kind of somehow ended up doing engineering because really wanted to understand how this equipment that I was playing with uh, works. So, you know, the amplifier, the guitar effects and all that. And uh, from there, I ended up doing a PhD actually in sort of sound simulation. And for many years, that's been my main thing. A uh, very nerdy thing to spend your only time on, but also very fun thing to simulate sound and starting a company around that. Where did that passion for sound come from? Good question. I feel like it's in my blood. Actually, my dad is a professor in acoustics or sort of psychology and perception of sound. He spent his career on that. So I think some of it must be kind of uh, just uh, genetics or whatever. But uh, ultimately, it was the music interest that really got me going about sound. And, and you know, I was always super interested in the technical side of music, you know, how sounds were made and so on. And then, yeah, as I said, that kind of led to this path of engineering and all that. Nice. That's super cool. And I'm excited to dive deeper into that. And I want to also call out to where you're calling from today. So you're not in Silicon Valley. You're not in London. You're not in New York City. You're somewhere else, much, much more beautiful. So can you tell us about where you're calling from today? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm coming from Reykjavik, Iceland, our old places on Earth. It's a great place, actually, to start uh, our startup. We've uh, the ecosystem and the, the startup scene in Iceland has just exploded over the last 10 years. And there's lots of exciting things happening here. So it's uh, fun to be here. You must have nice weekends as well. There's so many fun activities to do in Iceland. I, I'm, I'm very jealous of you. It must be amazing living here. Right. It's, it's a place to be, but I'm also jealous of you. You're, you're in California and you always have good weather. We certainly don't always have good weather. So, uh, you know, there's pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, pros and cons to everything in life, right? Right. What about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you? Yeah. So actually, you know, around the time I sort of left doing research and was more going more to this entrepreneurial side, even though we certainly do research in what we're doing. But uh, I started reading a lot of books on that side because I felt like I needed to educate myself a bit on, you know, not just the hardcore science and technology of what we're doing. And, I, and many great books uh, around entrepreneurship and so on that I've, I've read. But there are three that came to mind. First of all, which is kind of uh, maybe an old classic, but uh, the Dale Carnegie book about communication. I actually really like that book. It's maybe a kind of a cliche, but it really sort of helped me as a manager to think about how to best communicate with people and get the most out of people. And then a couple of classics, which I'm guessing have been mentioned many times in this podcast, uh, The Leading Startup uh, book, and uh, Zero to One. Those were both quite inspirational. So it's inspire what we do quite a bit. Nice. Yeah, I love those books. And a few people have mentioned those, maybe once or twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. 
Now let's switch gears and let's dive deeper into trouble and, and everything that you're doing there. So can we just start with a you know high level overview of what the company does? So the core of it all is sound simulation. That's this idea of having a computer model of something. Uh, it could be something that you're designing. Let's say you're designing a new car or a new building or a new product, television, whatever. And, you know, you can use digital twins or computer modeling techniques to know how the thing that you're designing is going to look. But there hasn't really been a lot of technology to know how the thing that you're designing is going to sound. And, you know, so if you're, if you want to know how this car that you're designing is going to sound, you kind of have to build the car and test it. And the same goes for buildings. You know, if you want to be sure that this classroom that you're designing or, or this open plan office, that it's going to be a comfortable sound environment to be in. And then you kind of just have to guess and build with it all for the best. But we are introducing sound into computer modeling, right? Instead of twins, so you can actually test how things sound, use simulation, design and optimize sound for all kinds of different industries because sound kind of is a part of so many products and uh, services and so on. And yeah, that's what our technology enables. And can you give us an idea of the types of companies who you know have this problem and experience this problem and, and want to solve this problem? So we work across different sectors because, again, sound is this kind of a phenomenon that happens in, in many different industries. So it can be, for example, architect firms and engineering consulting firms in the building industry. They're designing some buildings and want to be sure that you know, noise is kept at uh, appropriate uh, level and the sound environment is comfortable and so on. It can be, again, uh, as mentioned, car companies or in the automotive industry. And then in product manufacturers, we work quite a lot with big tech companies, for example, who are designing all kinds of devices and so on. And then actually the technology also has applications over on the sort of virtual world side of things where you want to design virtual experiences to also have authentic and realistic sound. So yeah. Mm, got it. Now take me back to, it looks like you launched or officially formed the company in May 2020. What was it about this problem and, and this product and this company that made you say, all right, let's do it. I'm going to build a company around it. So first reason is just the pure interest in the sound and the technology. And that's something I've been dealing with here or thinking about for a long time. But additionally, I was, after I finished my master's studies, I was working as an acoustic engineer in the building industry. I was, my job was basically to help architects uh, design buildings for comfortable acoustics. And there were essentially no tools that I could use to do that or very limited tools. But it meant that it was just very hard to design the, the sound art building and communicate that to architects and clients and so on. It was really tough. So I was quite frustrated about this and wanted better design tools for, for sound. And I actually got this opportunity to do a PhD on exactly that to kind of research methods that could be used to create a digital tool for designing sound acoustics. And that research worked quite pretty well. Uh, I was very fortunate to work with some great uh, scientists in that, and ended up with like a prototype of new technology, which Trevor is then based upon. When we started, we were, maybe because of my so previous experience, we were very much thinking about only the buildings. But then we sort of got going, we quickly realized, hey, being able to simulate sound, you know, that's useful in so many uh, applications and you know, all kinds of companies kept knocking on our door like, hey, we have this problem. We're trying to test how something sounds before it's actually built. Uh, can you help us? <laughs> Super interesting. And a couple of keywords or buzzwords I could say maybe that I'd, I'd love to have you explain for us. So 
These are words that I'm seeing more and more. I should say phrases that I'm seeing more and more everywhere. And I'm, I'm sure the audience is as well. So if you could maybe just provide us some definitions on them, that would be perfect. So the three phrases are spatial audio, digital twins, and virtual worlds. So maybe if we can just go through those one by one, and if you can explain them just in like simple, super basic terms, that would be awesome. So maybe let's start with spatial audio. What is that exactly? <laughs> it's actually, you know, that is debated what exactly that is. But if I try to give a simple explanation, there's this idea of essentially taking sound from 2B to 3 So. You know, we have had stereo for a long time where you can kind of sense how sound can come either from the left or from the right. But uh, with spatial audio, it moves all around you, essentially. <laughs> and now that's incorporated in, uh, into all kinds of products and services. Uh, you know, in, for example, Apple releases, releases these head tracking headphones so you can move the head around and all your tracks in real time as you move around and, and uh, feels more surround, around, surround. Yeah, feels more surround. And, that leads to a more immersive experience, opens up opportunities to create new types of experiences. And this is quite related to what we are trying to do. You know, we inherently are simulating the spatial characteristics of sound our simulations. Now, what about digital twins? Digital twins, that's essentially a computer model of something that's being designed for the physical world. So, you know, a classic example, which is been around for way longer than the work of the Trace Digital Twin is just the 3D model of, of a building. So, but maybe in the difference between Digital Twin and just a drawing of a building, even though it could be a 3D drawing, is that you typically try to incorporate some simulations and kind of performance analyses and metadata and things like that into the Digital Twin. So it's more than just seeing the thing, the drawing of the thing. And final technology or, or buzzword or phrase here, virtual worlds. You know, video games is, is something that you can call a virtual world uh, and it's been around for a long time, obviously, but it can, I would say that that could be then expanded and talk about virtual applications, metaverse applications, such as virtual training, uh, virtual conferencing, video conferencing, even, even going over to augmented reality, that's maybe not a virtual world, but still it's kind of an augmented world on top of augmented virtual world, the real world. And obviously... You know, that's a world that you want to see stuff in and you want to explore stuff, but also, you know, there will be sound this virtual world too. Yeah, it's super helpful to have an explanation on these terms. Like I said, they're everywhere now. And I feel like they're those types of things that a lot of people don't really understand what exactly they are. And a lot of the definitions that I've seen out there, they just like, they hurt my brain. Uh, a while ago when I was trying to read about digital twins, it was, you know, some very, very technical content. Like, I don't understand this stuff. So appreciate you explaining it in, in simple terms here. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. Now, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, acquiring customers. So obviously for every startup, it's hard to acquire customers, especially those first customers. So take us back to some of those first deals where you're able to secure and get paying customers. What did you do to acquire them? And, and what was that journey and experience like? Yeah, it's been a quite a journey. Not always easy for sure. And like you say, you know, I think we've managed to kind of, you know, spark some interest with the content that we were putting out 
for example, me personally, I've just been active on LinkedIn for many years and being in the course starting help only, you know, just as a researcher and so on. So in this field that I'm in, you know, by keeping people updated of what's going on and, you know, and people are interested. So we've been getting a solid amount of inbound and, and that's then just increased time as we put out more and more content are becoming more proper quality and so on. But there's a difference between having an inbound interest in someone saying, oh, this is pretty cool or, you know, that's interesting to actually starting to buy. And I think, you know, a big part for us, a big challenge was, you know, we're a new company with new technology. We're claiming to be do things faster, more precise than what could be done in the past. And often for engineering purposses, so people understandably and just very naturally have some skepticism and needed to be absolutely convinced of quality these things. We had to go above and beyond and co- collect proofs and case studies and, and so on to really showcase that the value of what we're offering that is totally robust and so on. That's just taking a ton of effort on our side, but also what's really helped is to kind of work, find the kind of the customers or the, or the clients who are open to experimenting, do it together with them to help somebody pilot projects and so on. Maybe not even getting any money from them, but just to kind of co-develop some things or research it together, uh, demonstrate the value. And over time, then this is kind of, we've been collecting proof of the quality and value of our products. And then, you know, that helps more and more and it becomes easier and easier. And then in addition to all of this, just customer acquisition channels, processes around sales and support that all of this it's just something that you can pricing models and so on. It's just something that you can take about as much as you want, but at the end of the day, you just have to go out there and experiment with it and get, get working with it. And then it's probably going to be wrong the first time, and then it just improves. And I see on the website that there's a 30-day free trial. It looks like you can sign up there easily. Is this a product-led growth sales motion, or what's this look like for you in terms of your go-to-market motion? Yeah, and that's actually a great question. You know, this is a Good example, this 30 day free trial. You know, when we started, when we launched, then we added probably like hey, the type of kind of rather hands on process, you know, where people have to get in touch with us. We'll have like a meeting with them to introduce them to the product. Uh, we recognize that this wouldn't be scale forever, but at least in the beginning, or do it like this to about get people off on the good foot, you know, on using the product and so on. But then we sort of quickly realized that this was just a massive hurdle and uh, not adding any value. So instead, now we go on to this process where you can automatically sign up and get going, you know, get some good guidance and so on, you know, in tutorials and so on. But uh, yeah, making the whole process more automated as it provides. And when you were making that transition, what did you have to do product-wise and organization-wise, you know, to adapt to that change? Because I imagine it's not just a matter of changing the homepage, right? And, and adding that big button that says, start your 30-day free trial. There's probably a lot of other changes that had to happen behind the scenes. So you maybe talk us through some of those other changes you had to make? Mm-hmm. There were, of course, just some kind of infrastructure, programmatical changes that we had to do, you know, so that you could actually sign up, you know, yeah, so that's maybe just a formality, but still, you know, we had to take care of a lot of technical matters so that you can actually sign up yourself and go into our system and everything be set up for you and so on. But then I think most of the work went into sort of designing this first user journey. And to be honest, that's still something that we're owning and improving. 
where we try to give people the best possible experience, a personalized experience, you know, where they feel that they have the option to be in contact with a person, and not just uh, talking to the void or the paper shredder, you know, and sending us an email. And uh, yeah, so I've kind of designed this user journey so that people can get going themselves and uh, can have a good service from us and support. It's a technical product that we're putting out there. And, you know, it's very often that people need something to um, interpreting results and so on and so forth. What's the job title of someone who's typically signing up for the product and, and playing around with that free trial? It varies, but it's often engineers. And then typically, you know, some kind of engineer who's working with sound and acoustics that can be across different sectors, you know, again, automotive products or buildings or whatever. It can also be architects, it can be sound designers, it can be also musicians, uh, people who are designing their home studio, you know, it can be all kinds. And in terms of growth, are there any metrics or numbers that you can share that just demonstrate the traction that you're seeing? Our audience loves to hear metrics, so any numbers would be awesome to hear. Right. I think in terms of user growth, I don't and the exact numbers on top of my head, but we're growing, the users have count is growing really fast. Uh, we've onboarded I don't know, something like 700 customers uh, now since we launched on March 1st, three months. And, you know, each customer is worth quite a bit because it's kind of another uh, engineering product. So it costs some money to, to use it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think maybe that's the best metric I can give is just that the number of users is growing very fast in our product. And what do you attribute to that growth? You know, having that many users in such a short period of time, that's what a founder dreams of. So what do you think you got right? And how'd you pull that off so far? Yeah, I mean, we've been iterating on the product for a pretty long time. And we've been iterating with clients and in our adopters and so on. I think that's been the key. Plus, maybe our own prior experience in the field. You know, we, me and my co-founder, Jesper, were both a couple of guys have been working in this field for many years before we started. So we... Yeah, I'm pretty decent feeling for what what would be needed to build with both things. Makes a lot of sense. And if you reflect on your journey, what's been your greatest go-to-market challenge so far, and how'd you overcome that challenge? Uh, maybe I was referring to this already earlier, but I think the biggest challenge, and maybe what we underestimated, was just how convinced people need to be of the quality of the product, how much work we'd have to go put in to do that. How many case studies and, uh, you know, validations and maybe it's because it's an engineering product, you know, so, uh, the amount of work needed to convince people of the quality of the product was something that we underestimated and we're still working on, you know, uh, improving it further. Uh, sure. I think that's kind of an end mission. And if you were just starting the company again today from scratch, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd have for yourself based on everything that you've learned so far? Be even more aggressive in sort of focusing, separating the wheat from the chaff, drowning out the noise, and be more laser focused. You know, you know, it's both kind of a benefit and a challenge. This widespread applicability of what we're doing, it can be be used for so many different things, and you can spend quite a lot of time thinking about, "Joy, oh, we could do this or this or that." Wow, that's cool. And then someone else comes in and, "Hey, can you do this? Yeah, we actually can." Blah blah blah. So that can take up a lot of energy. Even though ultimately it might make to like a very large business because we can do a lot of things. So this focus uh, thing is just so important. Maybe something we could be more of. Although 
in hindsight, it was also healthy to explore all these different options and understand use cases and so on. And a final question for you. Let's zoom out into the future. So three to five years from today, what's that high-level vision for the company and what are you looking to achieve over the next three to five years? Well, growth, of course, uh, continue on this growth that we've been on. And have like a specific number that we're aiming for in terms of revenue or a number of staff or whatever, but just to continue growing at a fast rate. I'm very excited, excited about uh, a use case that we're seeing growing very fast, which is synthetic data generation. So, you know, AI is kind of booming these days and uh, sound, you know, and then having AI be able to understand sound, you know, that's like speech recognition and Siri and those kinds of things, but also all kinds of other applications where it's useful for AI to be able to understand sound. It's a booming thing, but a major pause back in that field has to do with lack of data. Here we come, it's like the ability to simulate sound properly for the first time. So I'm very much hoping that we can be in Subeto and they getting all of your AI to the next level. So that's uh, something that I'm super excited about. And yeah, just uh, maybe opening new offices beyond Iceland. That would be a fun thing to do. Not that we talk about being here, but just uh, to spread out across the world. That's uh, something that we want to do as well. Well, we'd, we'd love to have you here in San Francisco. So hopefully you can make it someday. That <laughs> would be great. <laughs> All right, Vinner, this interview has been a lot of fun, but we are up on time. So we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they follow you? I think LinkedIn would probably be the best uh, option there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about what you're building and, and share these lessons from your journey. I really enjoyed the interview and I know the audience is going to as well. So thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 